Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Mike Schmidt, who I met many years ago at the LA Podcast Festival, and then we reconnected recently on Instagram. He came on my Instagram live, and then we decided to do a tea with Alice. He's in LA at the moment in the midst of this uh, chaos that's happening in America, so of course uh, our discussion circulates a lot about that. Um, from his perspective as a middle-aged white man in LA and obviously a man who has been working with the news for a very long period of time, first as a stand-up and now as a an online personality podcaster, Twitch streamer, all of that kind of thing. I do the thing that I sometimes do and I figure I should give you, I don't know, a heads up about that. Because we had a chat before and because uh, this conversation came after that, I leap into some academic points, sort of some, you know, because that's what draws my attention. That's the thing that I'm always interested in is the second or third step along the line. Uh, so you go from racism is a terrible problem to here are the ways that racism is being enacted in America. And then I'm interested in the stuff that's in the weeds. Um, so I hope that that doesn't come across as callous because I haven't done a lot of the setup work or had to, I did a lot of the setup work off off camera as it were um I know that that's a particularly sensitive topic particularly at the moment where there's significant um incentive to state your position on things I wrote a little bit about that on my patreon uh, thank you, by the way, to everyone who's been supporting me on Patreon. It's an incredible thing in difficult times and it has made my life feel so much warmer and more supported and this sense that there is a community of people who are engaged in what I do. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it, though I do try every week. Um, Savage is available on Amazon Prime and... The trilogy is available for free as a podcast. Uh, Ethos and Mythos are available via my Patreon as always. And I will stop plugging things and let you get on with listening to this podcast with Mike Schmidt. Uh, email me at alicerfraser at gmail.com. Uh, if there's anything that I've sort of misstated, I'm almost certain that there is. But I feel like these is these are the conversations that are important to have, uh, imperfect though they are. So I will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. You're having tea with Alice. Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Who are you and what are you drinking? Hi, my name is Mike Schmidt and I'm drinking ice water. I don't have to drink tea, do I? You don't have to drink tea. Nobody has to drink tea. All right. I am not uh, a fan of a bag of dirt. I am, I am pro-anti-tea, uh, pro if that makes any sense. So you don't like tea? I don't. I don't care for the sweet tea, the iced tea, the regular tea. Uh, I am not a fan. I feel perhaps you've not had the right tea, right I kind of tea. I feel like tea is such a broad church that if you don't like it, it's because you haven't had the best tea. I don't doubt that. I mean, I, it's not like I've sought out tea because the first time I had it, I went, oh, no. And then went, <laughs> why am I going to find better of this, really? I, I, wrote, I wrote one time on, on Twitter, just I said, I don't know who Earl Grey was, but if they've named a tea after him, I'm pretty sure he's a monster. I mean, I, I'm confident <laughs> in that. So, I, if, and ever we're, if ever we're in the same uh, country again, I will take you on, on a tea safari and try and find the tea that suits you. 
So you, but you're confident that you can do that in any country we're in together, pretty much. You, you, almost you just stated certainly, it. yes. Because, really? Yeah, almost certainly. T, it's like saying I don't like music or I don't like comedy. Wow. There is, there's plenty of people who I know who say I don't like comedy. And when they say I don't like comedy, what they mean is a particular kind of comedy that they've seen sure. once or twice or three times or ten times and it didn't suit them. But I would say almost certainly I could find a style of comedy that would suit almost everybody. Whether, like, even if you don't like to laugh out loud, there's comedy for you. <laughs> sure. Keep that inside. Well, I tell you what, I feel lesser in your eyes now. So I'm, I will admit, uh, when I've been sick, uh, if you put a bunch of gunk in tea, I can choke it down. Like, it's like a chai latte or something like that. That, that I can handle. All right, well, good. That I like. I don't mind that. I've had the boba. With the, with the chewable marbles, Bubble that's not tea, bad. the best kind of tea. Good, okay, so I'm on board with that. I've had, but, but I guess uh, what I'm thinking of, yes, is good old American uh, half a cotton ball stuffed with leaves or whatever the fuck that is. Yes, not I have to say in America, A, most of your um, coffee shops, and I've been to some fancy tea places in America where they have it, but have decent tea. And, but for the most part, what you guys think of as tea it's like you did the Boston Tea Party, threw all the tea in the ocean, and then drank that and thought that was what tea was meant to be, just <laughs> dro- dunking it into cold water and yeah. adding a little salt. <laughs> and also, I will say this too, I think my bias is inherent from having it when I was a kid when I was sick. Mm. So it was almost, I, I probably associated in my brain with medicine in some way, because you'd have a bad throat in your own, be like, oh, you got to sip some tea, you have to have tea, some 7-Up. And, uh, but it didn't do that for, I can still drink 7-Up, but tea, no thank you. This is that there's two TikTok videos and I can't believe I'm saying this, but they've gone sort of viral of, of an American lady and her daughter making first iced tea and then more recently hot tea in what they seem to think, unless they're very good at trolling <laughs> and what they seem to think is the correct manner. And, and if that's what you think of as tea, then, then I am, I'm going to blow your mind at some point. I'm excited. I can't wait to meet you in a previously unnamed country and figure out what we can do. <laughs> that's what we're, the second we hit the ground, we're off on a tea safari. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's probably some sort of bigotry or colonialism or a colonialist urge on my part to be like, no, 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 we'll figure it out. We'll find the one that suits you. You must love it. Uh, but I'm here, to, I'm here to be led. Take me. I'm serious. I want to like new things, even though I'm yes. an old, old grandfather, but please save me from myself. <laughs> so what have you been wrestling with of late? Well, I don't know if you've seen the news, Alice. I have seen the news. <laughs> um, I'm wrestling with uh, with the state and the condition of uh, of where I live uh, and where I've grown up and what I thought of it and what I've known it to be and what it's becoming and what it always was. And uh, and I I when it's dark and quiet, I I like to think that there's hope or there's a sliver of a solution, and then inevitably I I just fall right back down the ladder to nope, no no things are not going to change and not going to get better. Um, and there's so many tendrils that come together to to uh, make it seem unsolvable. So I've been wrestling with that quite a bit. It's, and it's honestly for the last, you know, I mean, obviously things in my country really flipped in 2015 politically. I mean, the, the things that are being exposed now have been ingrained for hundreds of years. So that has nothing to do with 2016. Um, but I find myself... Uh, oh, you um, mean Trump. Oh, the election. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The election really kind of um, <laughs> exposed stuff politically, you know what I mean? But, but, but overall, this, this country has been struggling for, I mean, I think it started, you know, 
at the government level 40 years ago in, you know, for, for my tastes, I guess you'd say um, for 40 years, it's been trending toward this. And now this is the crescendo and it looks like it's going to blow up. And I, so I've been wrestling with buying a gun. I've been wrestling with leaving this country. I've been wrestling with all sorts of different things. I mean, that's, that's a really interesting question. I think my impression of America, which is sort of limited. I lived there for a year in New York, which isn't quite the same as the rest of America. I've been to LA a few times. I've done a few gigs in middle America, uh, traveled around a little bit, New Orleans, various other places, but again, mainly sort of cities, which seem to be, you know, in every country, there's a division between city and country. Um, but in America, more, more than almost anywhere else in the world, there's a big sort of cultural divide. You're, you're an empire, you're not a country. You're an empire of loosely affiliated nation states that sort of yeah. pretend that they are of a country. And again, my impression as an outsider is that the only thing that unifies the country is that you all buy your own bullshit <laughs> to a greater <laughs> or lesser degree, <laughs> that there is this story of America, this idea of America that doesn't seem to be being enacted in a lot of places, but everyone believes that it is, is being enacted. And I, I've, I've, the thing that really, I, I was in New York and I went to the, to the post office in New York and it's this beautiful palace. I don't know if you've been to the central post office in New York. It's a marble columns. It's a massive you know, monument to the idea of, of communication and this idea of your postal service. These, you know, again, the story, the history of these people, the Pony Express and these people who rode up and down the country and made these networks of communication. And I walked into this post office and there would have been, I don't know, I got the impression of a vast number of, of counters, of open, you know, those little windows where people sure. should stand behind, I don't know, 30, 50, something like that. And there was one manned and there was a line of about 200 people. <laughs> and I thought, this is like when I was in the Middle East. This is a, this is a people living in the ruins of their own civilization. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 and, and under the guise of, technology will save you that sort of thing too i i to take your post office and move it to a different place in the grocery store um my mom you know she worked in a grocery store when i grew up in grocery store used to be a good job i my first job ever was in a grocery store i bagged groceries as a checker and it was a union job mm. you know so you had all the protections of union as well as you got raises you made money and it was a job you could actually you know, maybe raise a family on if you're two middle class incomes in the same home, you know, a bus driver, plumber, electrician, whatever, uh, along with uh, someone who worked in a grocery store, it could work. And, uh, and now you go to the grocery store and uh, they, they, there are kiosks for self-checkout kiosks under yeah. the guise of this is smarter, this is better, this is more helpful. But all it has done is lead them to have less employees, give the union less power, and make it more difficult for customers to check out because there will be a line of 15 people waiting to do their own self-checkout and people stepping on their dicks trying to put bread on top of eggs. I mean, they have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> and, and at the same time, those are the same people who go, these are unskilled jobs. This is the, you know, the kind of job you shouldn't, this is a starter job. Because that's the thing, again, in this country, you can always find someone to take the other position at all times. Um, you know, when, you, when we recently had a lot of fast food workers who were saying, well, we want a raise in the minimum wage. We want to get like $15 an hour. And they get laughed at and pointed at and go, ah, oh, you're only flipping burgers at the age of 35. It's ridiculous. I can't believe you're doing that. You know, if you'd have moved on with your life and done anything with yourself, you wouldn't have to bitch like this. And then 
the coronavirus hit and those people were pressed into work as essential workers and everybody said, oh, you got to go to work. You got to keep the McDonald's open. Why do you do? Well, what the fuck? You won't give them, you won't raise their pay, but they are essential workers who have to go serve hamburgers during a plague. And it's constantly <laughs> at odds with itself in this country with, with what it's this do as I say, not as I do type of attitude with everybody. And it permeates yeah. everything. Well, even the idea that there is such a thing as a starter job and and the idea is part of the same idea, that there is a linear progression that every American is sort of on the path between uh, school and becoming a billionaire. The American and dream. If you yeah. if you stop at any point along that illusory path, which is not a path at all, it's just a collection of, of extremely unlikely events that wherever you stop along that path is a is a failure of effort in some way that you know anyone can become super wealthy and super successful if they just work hard enough and then you have people working three or four or five or six jobs barely putting food on the table that is not any part of a linear progression that's that's someone who has been sold a lie going into the Coliseum, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, uh, it's happening all the time. And, and the problem, again, and it's, the thing that's funny to me is with social media, you will see a lot of people verbalize what you just said, where it's like, oh, you're lazy. You don't work hard enough. Pick up the bootstraps, the American dream. You've got to pursue. You've got to keep going and hustle to grind. Always grind and stay on that hustle. Uh, and it's your own fault if you don't advance, not recognizing that it's it's built for you to fail. Everything is built for people to get caught in that web. Well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps saying, I remember the first time I heard that and I thought that's not how gravity works. <laughs> <laughs> that's not yeah. how boots work unless you have super fancy. <laughs> Listen, you haven't seen our American boots. That's the one, if we're ahead of you in one thing, holy God, is it boots. You should see these amazing. Is there things. some sort of pulley system where the bootstraps yeah. are going over the over some rail and you're pulling Comes with the, the blueprint? There's a ratchet involved. It's crazy. <laughs> you get you literally you buy boots and get three assistants for the first two weeks just to teach you how to use them. It's an amazing thing. <laughs> yeah, so you're wrestling I, I, with the American dream, basically. Yeah, and and where uh, I I think you know wrestling with where we're going from here is I mean I think we're all doing that everywhere. Uh, but what, what bothers me is, is the exposure with the advent of social media and things like that of the fact that, uh, I, look, you don't expect everybody to think the way you do, but certainly you think the way you think is right. That's why you think it. Mm -hmm. But to see that we are so diametrically opposed with so many people, like I, again, I don't want to belabor the point, but the person who's leading this country now, the president of the United States is a dumb fuck. He just is. And to see that there is a solid 35 people, 35% of the people, I should say, who no matter what will support him is astonishing and disheartening because you want to think that everybody will look around and see the same fuckery that you see and go, no, this is dumb. This is wrong. Stop it immediately. And then you see people gleefully cheering for it and you, it become, you become disheartened in the whole process. And like I said, even the American dream, I guess, to, to put a label on it. Yes, this sort of... I, I see more and more of this online on both sides, actually, although on the sort of intellectual left, it tends to be marginally better disguised. Um, but it, it is this conspiracy thinking. And when I say conspiracy thinking, I mean like it's like a pun. 
you know how a pun is where you take a word and then you put it in a different sentence so that you realize that the word can be can mean something else sure right mm-hmm. and so the yeah. the joy of a pun or the sort of in in many ways the obnoxious smugness of a pun you don't laugh at a pun you go huh uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, the obnoxious smugness is well didn't think of it this way did you or you could think of it this way and so much of many people's online arguments seem to be built on that of like, well, that 75-year-old man who got pushed over could have been a spy, you know, like, yep. and you yep. go, well, he, he, I don't think he was. And they're like, prove he wasn't. That's... And this piece of evidence, he was part of a group. And you go, well, what group? And they were the Catholic people for peace. Yeah. And you go, what, what, <laughs> yeah. what do you mean? <laughs> well, they're All anti-fascists, yeah. so he must be an anti-fair provocateur. And you just go, yeah. this is... The, loosely strung together word association mm-hmm. yes, and you're it's, so it's satisfied terrible. with it you're so so pleased with yourself about it it's it's the death of discourse the 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 the, the both sides and all sides of everything has ruined any sort of discourse any shot at it any choice at all and the, and also this this guy uh, like you just said, hey, you know that seventy-five-year-old dude? He, uh, you know, he was actually blocking the. He could have been blocking the communication skills of the police, and he may have been an Antifa uh, supporter. And you go, well, why? What do you? Hey, I'm just asking questions. Yeah, that, he could have been. That, he might that, have been. How that can you prove me, that he was? It's it so... dri- that drives me out of my skull. It's because everybody. I guess it's everybody's raised on court shows or bullshit or whatever. They all think they're these fake lawyers. I have no idea. But that, hey, I'm just asking questions. I'm just bringing it up. Don't come at me. I don't support them beating up the old guy. But maybe there's a reason they beat up the old guy. No, 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 take a stand. Yeah, and then the other side, on the other side, you see it with people uh, going, oh, this person is a, a turf or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. And you say, well, what makes you say that? And you say, well, they they liked this tweet or they retweeted that or they went to a conference with somebody who has openly expressed uh, anti-trans rhetoric and they should have again it's that they should have known they should have done their research they should have and you while reacting to someone in instant on your gut on the word of people who you don't know who you follow on twitter you are at the same time demanding that other people do immense amounts of research have uh, looked into the backstory or of everyone they've met or engaged with or enjoyed or been friends with. And, and there's on top of that, the guilt of association as though you can't have friends who have these. It's not just that they disagree with you philosophically. They believe that if you, you know, they believe that if you are friends with someone who is a bigot, you're endorsing their bigotry. And that's not just bigotry. It's not just ignorance. It is, hatred it can't just be that they were brought up in a particular time and they're still learning or they're stupid or they haven't thought it through or you know any number of possibilities it's easier to assume that they are hateful and murderous yeah i i've seen i mean i'm i'm old enough to have seen the changes in in certainly in the entertainment industry where you could do certain things you could say certain things i mean the, the the comedies i grew up with as a kid uh, you know, I grew up with 16 Candles and Caddyshack and Animal House and those kinds of, of movies. And the thing that makes me laugh now, as you mentioned, because Twitter is when Twitter first started, 
I made fun of it at first because I did that thing. Oh, who the fuck wants to see what you had for lunch? Blah, blah. And then I jumped in and I went, this is change. This is going to change the world. I literally thought this is, this will change the world. It's instant news and instant time. You will be able to know everything from everywhere at once. And as someone who grew up reading five newspapers a day, Mm. Uh, I was an information junkie. I needed to know everything. I needed to have all you, you could never come to me and go, did you hear that? And I go, yep. Yeah, I did. I heard this. Do you hear this? Do you hear this angle about it? I like, I needed to know all of it. I don't know why I just did. So when Twitter happened, I thought I was like, this is it. This is me. This is you literally leaping into uh, a kayak and just heading down fucking high speed through all the news and getting it at once. It was fantastic. It was a thrill ride. I guess I didn't realize then how it could be weaponized. And I see now exactly how it has been. Yes. And it's simultaneously weaponized by malicious actors who do exist and who are manipulating the discourse and people's access to information. It's also being um, hijacked by algorithms, bots, things that just put a thumb on the scales of whatever trend there is make things worse, uh, amp things up without any consciousness, any knowledge, no sentience. Their, their job is just to push something that's teetering. Anything that's teetering, they'll push it. That's, that's their function. And then people who are trying really hard to express the thing that they think is right. I don't know if they're trying to persuade anyone because you couldn't in good faith for the most part believe that you're persuading anyone particularly with that thing where you see someone who you hate and loathe and disagree with saying something that you believe is immensely damaging you believe it is immensely damaging it's upsetting to you and your response to that is to then retweet it with your commentary to put it out to all of your friends who haven't heard this terrible thing this damaging thing this hurtful thing you then amplify it yeah. Oh, look what this person said. Oh, this horrible person. Hey, hey, look, look, it's that, mm, this tastes disgusting. Quick, try it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> why? Yeah. What's that urge? What is that but, impulse? Because you know why? Because I think people's urge to protect anyone from misinformation is overwhelmed by their urge to be heard or seen or thought important. And with everyone having a Twitter feed or everyone having a Facebook page or everyone, ha- my, uh, my favorite on Facebook is when someone will post some ridiculous nonsense and someone will come in and go, well, have you thought about it this way? And then they try to counteract their argument and they'll go, I will hear no arguments on my page. I didn't come onto your page. And start- <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. Excuse me. It's not like I kicked in the door of your fucking house and started shouting in your face. I mean, you posted something in a public forum. It came into my view, my purview and I, I jumped in. Um, but if you, if you, if your page is private, then lock it up. I mean, I, I don't, it's like those people on Twitter who have protected tweets. What the fuck are you doing? I don't, I don't understand if you're going to jump in, jump in. You don't put a toe in the water in social media. Uh, you recognize that, you know what you do, you, you put on your fucking MMA gloves and your fucking tiny knee pads and you get in, you start swinging because that's unfortunately what it's become. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really don't, I don't know how to negotiate it and I'm coming up to the danger zone for women on Twitter, which is when the bots start to, if you get above a certain number, the bots start to recognize you as a thing that they can engage with usefully according to their algorithm. And you start getting all of that, you know, robots tell you to kill yourself. Um, uh, So I'm I'm, I'm sort of trying to figure it out because I try to use it as an out pipe rather than an in pipe. Which is brilliant and, and very smart and great. I like, I, 
I refuse to fight with ghosts. I've had this from the beginning. I literally go, I won't fight with ghosts. Anybody who comes on and talks shit to me or anything, if I don't know them, if it's not a friend or anybody like that, I'm not, I don't even engage. It's not even like I go goodbye or I'm blocking you. I, they get the ghost. I, I don't care who you are because you mm. mean nothing to me. You're just, you're something floated by in the ether. You're a gnat. Who cares? Mm. Um, and I, and I think it's terrible that that's about to happen to you if it's not already happening because I've seen it happen. It's, it's, I call it the roaches. Like, you, you know, it's bots, but also there are real people mixed in with there. And it's just, whenever, whenever anybody gets besieged, I say the roaches came out because I, I always think of that scene in the mummy where the scarabs would come running out and then they just consume a guy and he's gone and he's just bones at the end of it because that's what they do. They come in and they pick you clean. And for you being on that radar, it's gotta be, you know, you're a public figure, you're well-spoken you, you and, and unfortunately it puts you kind of in the crosshairs sometimes for people I would imagine. And it's got to be awful. I can't imagine it. Well, so far I've been remarkably lucky. Um, and I think that's because, <laughs> I think that's because if I have a brand, it is complicated. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> that's it, it's yeah, because a lot of what I do is these kind of long form podcasts where I talk about things from different angles or, and, and I tend not to jump, I tend not to, I have before, but I tend not to jump in on these, today this is the thing we're talking about, today this is the news story we're commenting on, this is, you know, I, so I don't, I don't necessarily get drawn into that. And I see people doing it very well. I have, you know, Tiff Stevenson, who's a friend of mine, she's always, she's always on it, she's always out there, and she gets a lot more flack than I do. Um, I, I'm not saying that it won't happen, but I have... I've out, I've gone past my use by date in terms of like, I've been very, very lucky. Yeah. So far. Um, well, good. And, I, well, I mean, you should, you shouldn't want to walk into a propeller. I mean, honestly, it, sh it shouldn't be, but that's, that's the reality of it, unfortunately. And, and uh, like I said, you should, you just see people shouting and, and, and shouting at one another about nothing. Like again, I have to think these people are just taking stances to be different or just to yell and shout. I, you know, they, uh, I, there was the thing where in England the other day they threw away, they threw a slave trader's statue into the water. They yes. dragged it through the streets and they threw it into the water. And, uh, and then the next day it was like eight white guys trying to get the statue out. <laughs> do, those, do those dudes care about 17th century slave trader statue? No, they don't. They're, they're, they're just taking a contrary position because they think they're supposed to for some reason. Nobody, they didn't think about that fucking guy once in their lives until he got dumped into the drink. And then they went, hey, let's go get that guy out because he was a hero or whatever the fuck. It's that was my favorite statue. I, I right? love that statue. Oh, I would stop. I would salute it all the time. I'd eat a sandwich under there, have a talk about <laughs> slaves. It was great. How to fit people into a boat. It was wonderful. I mean, get the fuck out of here. It's, it's, it's all, and there's so much performative out there. It, it's I it, it tends to make me not want to be involved in the discourse. You know, on my show, I talk about kind of everything that comes into my head, and I and there's a real danger in my head of being performative, even though it's coming from the heart and it's what I want to talk about. When you're just a voice in a sea of everybody talking about the same thing, you can look like you've just fallen in line. And, yes, and you don't want that to be the case. And there's also a thing, and this is where I guess maybe some of the flaws of of the left come in where it's, if they can articulate what their enemies are doing, they believe that's a valid criticism. So, for example, um, something like tone policing 
which is a, a very real thing that people do. And it's often applied in a very racist way, sometimes in a sexist way. So if you, if I, in an argument, get het up, if I start speaking more loudly or more shrilly, or if I start to cry, which can happen if I get angry, <laughs> that Me too. then people will say, you know, you're being hysterical, calm down, as a way of invalidating your point. Yeah. At the same time, if I'm screaming in someone's face, that isn't the best way to persuade them. If what I want to do is persuade them of my argument, sometimes I do need to go, okay, I have to take a deep breath, slow my voice down, not because my feelings aren't valid, not because my emotions make my argument less well-constructed, but because in terms of the way that people engage and in rhetorical discussion, which is you know, the, the, the way that words persuade people, the medium is the message. If you can deliver your points calmly, you have a higher chance of somebody engaging with them well. Sometimes, doesn't matter how you say it, they won't agree with you and yeah. they'll try to dismiss you using whatever they can. But it's things like, it's things like when, when people criticise looters. I don't think you should steal other people's stuff. I don't think you should break into other people's houses. I don't think you should hurt people. At the same time, I understand why there is this violence going on. Yes. And the things that the violence is in reaction to are as bad, if not significantly worse, than the act of looting. But that doesn't make looting right. Can they not? Can can't you say both things? Can't you say no. looting is wrong, but also <laughs> racism no. and the racial structures that have led to this level of rage and despair, justified rage and despair, is wrong? Can't you can. can't you say both? No, you can't anymore. That's that's the issue. You can. You should be able to. Absolutely, anyone who thinks critically knows what you're saying. Nobody thinks. Well, nobody chooses to think critically anymore. They can but they all choose to latch onto what their point is or their context and they run with it. Like they just use it like a bulldozer and they try to ran through your fucking argument because they want to be right rather than find some sort of mutual agreement and understand. And look, also nobody wants to understand why people do what they do. Everyone wants to immediately just kind of banish it or, or condemn it so they can feel self-righteous in some way. Uh, yeah. Looting, not, looting is, Looting does not invalidate your argument, but it's not necessarily the most effective way to make your argument. I will be happy to have an intellectual discussion of whether or not it may be the best way to have your argument. Maybe, Maybe you're making a concerted decision to have an impact on capitalism because capitalism is the most powerful force in American politics. And so if you can cost people money, then... You might your argument will have more power if that's the rationale. Then we can talk about that. Well, in in the sixties, James Baldwin said, "Hey, man, he goes. This guy doesn't want this TV. You see, you see, uh, and his, I'll use his words: a Negro steal a TV. He goes. He doesn't want a TV. He's saying, see me. I'm here. I exist. I'm I'm real. It's it's their way to 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 land a blow." When, when everything else they're doing is being completely marginalized and pushed aside and, and ignored. I mean, I, you can't expect, and I, I, I'm, I know I'm stealing this quote, you can't expect 
reasonable people to act reasonably in the face of unreasonable acts. And it's all, it's exploding now because black people have been told for, and this is not even an exaggeration, centuries. Mm. Hey, hold on, relax. It's coming. You know, give us time. We're working on it. Vote. It'll change. We're working on it. It'll vote. So now, especially when people come at me with the looting argument, I know we did, we weren't going this way. I know what your point was, yeah. but um, I'm, I'm so tired of the disingenuous of the, they're, they're able to take their power away within a day by saying, well, you shouldn't loot and be violent. That's no way to react to this. Well, like, dude, dude, again, I'm a 52 year old white guy. I got no business telling anybody who's black how to react in the face of anything. Cause I've never had to live that life or experience that prejudice or, or, be held down in a, in a system that's kept them down forever, forever, man. Yeah. So if they explode and they loot and they smash windows and they break shit and they get in somebody's face and more often than not, the things that I saw, a lot of people were out peacefully with a fist in the air or on one knee and they're getting smashed in the fucking head with batons. Yeah. So maybe in a reaction to the violence that was brought there by people with badges and guns, the violence on the other side might've, percolated and that's why looting and rioting happened. And also there were bad actors and also there's just some jagoffs who want to fuck shit up. It just happens. So I, I, I hear what you're saying, but to, to say the, the looting is bad and also this is bad and all that, you're right. Absolutely right. But people don't want to critically think of it that way anymore. They all want to put their foot down and say, well, this is bad. So stop. In my yeah. Opinion. Yeah. And again, also, I think I have, I, I was brought up Buddhist, so I was brought up to believe very viscerally and very strongly that violence is never the right solution. No, that doesn't mean it's not, nece- it's not the only solution or the best solution uh, or the only effective solution, but it's always, to me, this is going to sound like such a jerk-off thing to say. It's always to me <laughs> I can't so, wait. it's so sad. It feels like a failure. Like it feels like a failure somewhere to me that violence has happened because it's never good. It might lead to good outcomes. It might be the, the most effective thing. It might be the only thing that you can do right now. It might be... Uh, the only way you can get out of this situation, it might be the only way you can tell the bully to back off. It might be any number of those things, but it, violence always feels like a failure to me. It always makes me really sad. Well, I, and it should, it should. I, as someone who has been violent in the past, uh, I can tell you in the immediate wake of the violence, I felt like a failure. Uh, I, I, it wasn't anything I wanted to do. I, you know, I didn't have a lot of control over myself sometimes. And whether it was in a professional capacity or a personal capacity, I've been involved in violent things. And then afterwards just went, what did you do? Why did that happen? And I've cried and I've been sad and been like, man, that was fucked, dude. You know what I mean? Where you just this thing where you don't know how to react or behave and, and you're ashamed. And, and, you know, if you're, if you're not a complete sociopath, then yeah, you, you, draw blood from somebody or you fucking knock them unconscious, you're going to be weirded out about it. It just, it's just inherent inside you if you're a, a good person. And I know it sounds weird that a good person would knock somebody unconscious or draw blood, <laughs> but it's happened, you know, things happen. So I, but I don't think you're wrong. I think violence is a failure, but I also can't say it isn't necessary sometimes. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm very wary of, you know, 
when I say a failure, it's on a personal moral level or whatever that happens to be. I'm also very conscious of situations where like in the workplace, if someone is sexually harassing you and you draw it to the attention of HR, you are the one who created the problem in that narrative rather than the person who was sexually harassing you in the first place, your reaction to draw attention to the, to the status quo or to, to point out how wrong it is, is then seen as the antagonistic act rather than their act because you're the one who's making the problem. So I'm conscious of attributing the um, culpability in the wrong place there as well. They, yeah, they, people in authority would prefer you suffer silently rather than make them do the things that made them authority in the first place. Yes. And you don't even need to be a bad person in authority to be allowing really bad things to happen because even beautiful ideas, even wonderful changes in the world can lead to really nasty, unforeseen outcomes, whatever it happens to be. There were black people who starved to death after the end of slavery, after being emancipated because there was this one great thing, which was legal emancipation. And then all of these unforeseen side effects. Well, how do we, how do, what, what, do, what, what are the jobs? How do people work? What, what yeah. are their lives going to look like? All of these ongoing knock-on effects. And then, you know, the prejudices that existed that had allowed slavery didn't just go away, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on and on and on and on and on like that. And, but, but think of what you just said and think about how that applies to now. Yeah. It, it's essentially the exact same thing because if, you know, in my country now we're, it's, we're going on two weeks of protests and over the weekend I actually had a sliver of hope and I haven't had that in a while here. And, and a lot of my thoughts have been along rich and poor, capitalists and, and the, the great divide with financial situations in this country and, but always with race in mind. I mean, you know, 15 years ago, I told somebody, I said, race is like the biggest problem in this country. If they don't fix it, it's going to be unbelievable. Now, I'm no fucking soothsayer. Everybody can have seen that. <laughs> but, but it became more in my mind as we got older, more of a divide between rich and poor than black and white. But the scab was torn off of that, you know, the last few months with what's been going on. So... No, I understand about- I, that. That's a thing that's worth unpacking slightly more because I understand that. That's a thing that I thought when I was in America as well, that people are using black and white and, and racial things going into the comedy clubs. You see all of this racial discussion. And it seemed to me that a lot of what they were saying was a proxy for class, that, yeah. that America pretends it doesn't have a class system. It absolutely does, but it tends to use race as a proxy for class. When it talks about race, it's talking about class. Yeah. I, I read, um, you mentioned the end of slavery and how all of them, you know, blacks were free, but they were turned out with no jobs and no, you know, no education. And I never knew what the term sharecropping meant. I never knew what it was. Uh, it took me, I think it was two years ago, I actually read uh, a, a long, there was an article on it or a, a column somewhere. And it was, and what it was, was once the, the slaves were freed, the, the rich landowners went to the poorest whites and said, oh, can you believe these blacks are not going to steal your jobs? are going to go out here and try to compete with you. Why don't you come and work our land and we'll give you a small parcel of land and that'll be yours. We'll take care of you there. All you've got to do is do what the slaves used to do for us. 
And then that made the whites think they were better than the blacks because, ha ha, I own a shack and a small patch of grass. Now I'm doing the same thing the slave used to do, but they just gave me a house that I can call mine. And so they, the rich people essentially got, they just got new slaves. They happen to be white. And at the small cost of a, a you know, a, a, a 17th of their land that these people could call their own. And it also inf in, infused these, these poor whites with class. Oh, I'm better than the black guy because I own this now. And I can but then also you know I mean? there are these follow on things because then you're a landowner and then, then that yeah. has a knock on effect and that has a knock on effect again. And things like the, the redlining of districts where, where even now, and so I think the insight that I had when I thought, oh, this, they're using race as a proxy for class, they're not racist, they're classist, and they're pretending they're racist <laughs> <laughs> as though that were better. That was what I thought. Uh, and then I sort of realised that it, it is inextricable in America it, because of all of these, you know, ongoing laws and regulations and then they would rent to this kind of person or not to that kind of person or you'd give a, a loan to this person and not to that person a home loan or you'd give better rates on a home loan and and those kind of cumulative effects are what have made class and race so inextricable from one another in america with obvious and, exceptions you know. but, but but what do you do so that's why when you talk about when slavery ended what what was next they had no jobs no education what could happen well, now, like I said, I had hope over the weekend, but the more I think about it, uh, you know, I see because black people, it, it's coming fast. It's, it's a real train now where black people are like they're being, they, you know, defund the police has become a big thing here now, which absolutely makes sense and all of these different things. But now then black people are also, oh, and also reparations. Oh, and also we need to get this. We need to be paid for this work and all that. And they're not wrong. But how does it, how does it get fixed? How does this all get fixed at once? You're like, it just, it's this gigantic tsunami now. And well, the, there's a number of different things that can be done and none of them will be a perfect solution. And the faster they are applied, the more likely they are to be messily applied and have messy unforeseen consequences. But gradualism hasn't been working. Right. <laughs> slowly, I, slowly I changing agree. hasn't yeah. been working. It's been allowing that, that, that incremental change has been allowing people to do it half-heartedly or do it improperly yeah. or to entrench new prejudices or old prejudices in new forms into the new systems that are meant to be changing things slowly. Yeah. So maybe it <laughs> is. You see, do you see what I mean? I, I sit and I think and I try to to unravel this fucking Gordian knot or whatever you call it. I'm, and I'm just like, I can't, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely... Uh, wrapped at attention to figure out what the hell they will do to fix this. I think, because again, already now Biden today wrote an op-ed about community policing and, and they have to fund the police the right way and all this bullshit. It's like, dude, no, you're missing all of it. You, you everybody, because now everybody's terrified of, uh, they're doing this thing now with these messages straight to the suburbs because they see, all they see on the news is a lot of black people having this uprising. And so they're trying to calm the suburbs down and, and get their votes and tell them everything's going to be okay and don't worry. And, and meanwhile, in the city, it's, they, they're, they're giving them a different message as well. I don't know. I just don't know. And so you ask, it's funny. Your question was, what am I struggling with? All of this. I don't know what's going to happen, man. I just don't. And you made a point. I want to ask you this. You talked about engaging people. And, yes. uh, and you talked about, you know, how discourse can work. And you have to, sometimes you get angry or you, you can feel like your emotions are getting away and you have to pull yourself back. Do you engage people anymore? 
In what way? In any sort of dissonant argument where they disagree with what you are saying. If, if you feel one way and they feel another, do you not feel that everyone is intractable and cannot have a discussion? Online or in person is the question. There's a, there's a number of things. I mean, the first thing that I do is this. This Tea with Alice is showing that you can have complicated conversations where you can say things that you're not sure of and that you're not sure you stand behind and you just want to get them out of your head and see if they sound right and then see what the consequences are and and have these difficult discussions, these complicated discussions where you're not just saying the thing you know you should say, you're going, well, why are we saying this and how are we saying this? And for me, that's that kind of, it's a personal exercise in critical thinking, in self-analysis, in allowing myself to think uncertain things uncertainly, to be uncertain about things and express that. And at the same time, um, in a kind of a very wanky way, it's a public service. It's showing other people that that's that you can have that, that you can be wrong and change your mind and, and explore things over an hour or over weeks or over years. There's things that I've spoken about for years and slightly shifted my opinions on or, or explored just to show that that is what you can do. And it's helped me very much in my personal life. It's made me capable of having those discussions. I'm very conflict averse in day-to-day life. I don't like disagreeing with people. I try to see their point of view. It's made me better at turning that around for myself. And I hope that that some of my listeners have had a similar experience. If you mean online, very rarely, (laughs) very rarely indeed. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's an unfair question. I thought of the second you brought up the distinction. Um, I'm surrounded by people who I enjoy. Very rarely do I venture into any sort of conversation with anyone who wouldn't agree with me in my regular life. I'm talking mainly online and, and because that's when I say I don't engage, there's no point to me in that. Um, so it's, it's, it's a, a fault of my own choice to be insular. I guess that would lead me to ask you that question. I hope it wasn't unfair. No, it's not at all unfair. I mean, there's a Buddhist saying, uh, again, that I was brought up on, which is that you shouldn't criticize somebody uh, behind their back. You shouldn't, you should only speak about them behind their back if you have something good to say, (laughs) something that I have struggled with in my time. But you (laughs) should, you should only criticize someone to their face if you think that they can hear it. Oh, all right, Buddha. I get that. <laughs> so that's, that is, I think, the, my selection mechanism when it comes to online discussions or any kind of arguments is, and again, far from perfectly, I have emotions and feelings and can be petty and vindictive and want to show off as much as the next person. But what I try to do is think, well, can I actually, do I think I have a chance of getting through to them? Is what I say going to be what they hear? Or how can I make what I think into something that they can understand? And to do that, I think often you need to have a sense of who the other person is. So they can't just be a cipher. They can't just be an online person. You have to have maybe a sense of them. So you've seen them over some weeks or some years or you've had a look at their threads and, and had a sense of how they think or their motivations, or at least their expressed motivations. And then then you might have a chance of actually 
engaging them whether you can be bothered whether you have time whether you have the energy uh, <laughs> is a separate question because i'm, I'm so astonished by people who have the time and energy for engagement like that i i don't I, you know, and not that I look, Hey, I sit around and do fucking nothing. All right. It's not, it's not like I'm like, you know, I'm changing the world or making potions or some bullshit, but <laughs> I see people online who are just, I'm like, I'm cause I'm extremely online, but I'm reading, like I'm not participating with the typing, but I see people that are constantly typing and commenting and everything. I'm just, I'm just like, what are you doing, man? Go. I, I've, I've said this. The, the only time I've ever, if anyone's really been intense with me, I'll just go hey, go read to your kid. There's, there's no point in you sending me some insult. You got, you know what? Cause you got a kid in the other room right now. Who's going to grow up to feel about you the way I feel about you in this moment, right? Fucking now. Cause you didn't pay any attention to him because you were fighting me with all the time you fucking grew up. Ridiculous. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's classic books to read. There's amazing movies to see. There's there. You get another 999 monkeys and tap on a fucking keyboard. till one of you makes a novel, do something with your life rather than fighting with Brad Pitt on online or not even fighting with him, <laughs> lobbing grenades at him that he'll never see. They literally throw into the air and just, they just go, because they don't blow up. <laughs> they just, they, they just do nothing. You just, you've done nothing with your life or yourself. Stop. I don't. And, and, but when they handed everybody a megaphone, Alice, it changed everything. I, I, you know, and this isn't even, this isn't even harmful, but when I, I'll look on Facebook and someone will be like, all right, Second cup of coffee poured on the door to work. And I see that and I'm, I'm, I'm furious because I'm like, you, you typed that and you hit send, you hit send, you hit send on. All right. Second cup of coffee poured out the door to work. Nobody fucking cares, man. Nobody. Go to work. I, I love the idea as a kind of a um, science fiction premise that we just run out of space on the internet at some it's point <laughs> and it's, it's just it's full, full. <laughs> and then everyone has to go back through all of the oh. shit they used to fill it up <laughs> yeah you know are you yeah you're done they just did something cuts you off to it no you've expressed yourself as much as you possibly can in this yeah. lifetime oh i wasted it on coffee you're kidding me right i can't remember if it was a dream or a short story i read when i was a kid <laughs> that after you die you are your heaven or hell or whatever it is, is just being in a, an undefined space with all of the garbage you produced over the oh, course man. of your lifetime. Wow. Like that, great. but, but, but for the internet. <laughs> yeah. I, cause I, and I see people who would, I just, the people just seem to marinate in their, their fecklessness and I don't understand it. Like what, what is wrong with you, man? Don't you see? Can't you see? I, I, I guess self-introspection or whatever. It's just, I don't know if it was a lost art or it's an art that never really existed. I don't know. I see people who just shout from the rooftops that they, they like gum. You know what I mean? Or, and it's like, I don't understand it at all. And again, this is a guy, I've, I've done a fucking podcast about what, what's in my head for 12 years. So that's, and that's where the imposter syndrome shows up. And that's where I go, well, why shouldn't everybody have a voice if I have a voice? And it's just, it's, believe me, it's, it's a constant battle. It's just this weird <laughs> wrestling match I fucking have. Who I am I to have imposter syndrome? Oh, <laughs> uh, man. I just, I, it's so loud, isn't it? It is loud. Um, speaking of loud, where can people find your podcast? Oh, oh my podcast is loud. How dare you? <laughs> uh, the 40 year old boy podcast is available in, uh, Apple podcasts. And, uh, if you go to art 19, 
dot com slash the 40 year old boy and that's the number four zero not the word art 19 that's number 19 not the word art 19.com slash the 40 year old boy uh that's where you'll find the podcast the 40 year old boy and we are i didn't come here to do maths (laughs) i'm doing chisenbop i got the korean fingers working um yeah so that's where you can find the podcast and uh and also i'm at youtube.com slash the 40 year old boy where you will find the entire archive of all 12 years of the show uh, go ahead and start at the beginning if you'd like. If you've got no time to do anything else in your life, but listen to me, <laughs> fill your head with nonsense. I'll do it. And I'm also at twitch.tv slash the 40-year-old boy playing video games uh, probably five days a week or whatever. But if you subscribe, you'll always know when I'm on. So those are those are the main things. Uh, oh, and also Instagram uh, and, and Twitter. It's at twitter.com slash the 40-year-old boy. Instagram, I'm Mike40YOB. Uh, and uh, that's it. The podcast is the main cog in the wheel, though. So go there, art19.com slash the 40-year-old boy or youtube.com slash the 40-year-old boy. You'll find modern shows. You'll find the past shows. That's brilliant. It was so nice to talk to you. I'm going to stop recording, and then I'm going to talk to you like a normal person. Thanks so much for having me. Bye.